Welcome back, everyone, and happy Friday. You are listening to For the Girls, episode two. We're here for an Australian race preview and a special topic on the Americanization of F1. I'm Tiggy. I'm Chessa. And I'm Sarah. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at For the Girls. And thank you for all of your support so far. Keep sharing with your friends. We really appreciate it. For people who are newer to F1 or just want a refresher as the season gets going, we're going to do a special episode next week that will be a 30-minute rundown of everything you need to know to follow along with both this podcast and with the season generally. So let's get into it. We're going to start with an Australia preview um, in Melbourne. It's the first race here since 2019, guys. The last two GPs were canceled due to COVID. Um, But everyone, all the drivers, all the teams seem super pumped to be back. This is going to be a really good race for those of us that did not watch two years ago, 2019. um, Botas won. He was 20 seconds ahead of Lewis, who finished P2, and Max was P3. So Botas called that his best race ever. I think that's probably fair. 20 seconds ahead of Lewis. That is a (laughs) long, long time. And the best part, Lewis was on pole too. So he passed Botas passed Lewis into turn one also. I did not know that. That is awesome. Um, I may stand corrected for my last episode or our last episode about the best radio message of all time. Botas, after he finished the race, goes, to whom it may concern, fuck you. <laughs> and then on the podium, the interviewer goes, what the hell did you have for breakfast? And he goes, I had some porridge. <laughs> We love to see that. Um, But Sarah, do you want to take us through some of the track changes? Because we do have some differences from 2019 to now. Sure. So there have been a lot of track changes since last time. It used to be not that popular of a track. People thought it was kind of boring. It was really hard to overtake. Um, So they changed the actual track layout, made the pit lane wider, and resurfaced the whole track. Danny Rick actually gave some input on the track layout changes. So he said, if it's a great race, he would take credit for it. Um, <laughs> we'll give so, him credit. <laughs> yeah, we can we can give him credit regardless. So the big changes, they added a fourth DRS zone, which is crazy. Ooh. We've never had four DRS zones since DRS was introduced in 2011. Um, there, and Charles yeah. said, yeah, we should definitely talk about this. Yeah, and I think we can get into this in more detail another time. And Sarah, definitely I want to hear what you're saying about Charles. But there's a debate just for people who uh, are not as into DRS as we are. But there's a debate over whether this is too many DRS zones. Does it make it too easy to pass? Some sort of describe it in the F1 world as a necessary evil because the teams are so uneven right now. So you need a little bit of that. But maybe we'll get to a point where we don't even need it. Um, But anyway, yeah, Sarah, what were you saying about Charles? So Charles made a comment about how he said, quote, being clever can make a big difference here. And as we talked about last episode, Charles has been really good at kind of playing these DRS games and the strategy. Um, So that'll definitely be something to watch in the race. Another thing to think about for this race, too, is that a chicane, chicane, I'm never going to say it right, was removed to increase speed. So this track's going to be about five seconds faster per lap in quality. So this is going to be really cool to see, too. the teams have kept a similar car setup to Saudi because it's a similar high-speed vibe for the track. So it's Formula 1, baby. We'd love to see everyone going really fast. <laughs> it's going to be fun. So several turns have been made wider and two turns have been made narrower to make it easy to overtake. So, Tiggy, do you want to explain what we think this will mean for the Red Bull versus Ferrari fight? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I was seeing that Ferrari was saying the modifications to the track wouldn't suit their car because Red Bull has better straight line speed and Ferrari may be a little faster on the corners. But I don't know. We'll get into FP1 and FP2 results, but they seem to refute that a little bit. Um, although it is true that Red Bulls are going faster through the new high speed section and Ferrari's going faster in the sort of slower and medium speed turns. But we'll see what that means overall. So in terms of the tires, it's going to be, um, it's expected to be a low grip track because the track surface has been totally redone. Um, so out of the Pirelli compounds that the teams will have available for the race for the soft tires, it's the softest compound that Pirelli has, um, a C5. So let's get into, um, FP1, um, Tiggy, what happened? Yeah. So Interesting results here um, in that it's not interesting at all. We have top four, <laughs> all Ferraris and Red Bulls, um, but my not prince, surprising. My <laughs> prince, Carlos, is on top in FP1, which was very exciting for me to Woo! see. Um, we were seeing a lot of complaints um, about traffic and drivers saying that other cars were impeding them. George was cursing about Red Bulls getting in his way, you know, the Ooh. usual um, but I think one of the highlights from FP1 is that McLarens are definitely looking a lot better. I know we talked a lot <laughs> last episode on how rough it's been for them, but yeah, they're looking good in practice so far. So FP2 was definitely a lot more exciting than FP1. We had Leclerc P1, Verstappen P2, P3 signs. Sad to see that. We wish we would <laughs> have come on top of Charles. Uh, P5, Checo. So all pretty standard, but guys... The big upset. Well, we're not going to call it an upset yet, but Alonso was P4. So our old our old stallion coming in. <laughs> <laughs> we love to see that. Good for him. And both McLarens were in the top 10 in FP2, which is exciting. And Merck was in P11 and P13. Um, and Russell was ahead of Hamilton. LOL. Stir um, the pot. Stir the pot. <laughs> so great. Yeah, so I'm wondering if that'll hold for the race. But in classic form we had some funny max radio so it was kind of after the fact he said something along the lines of like oh it was a shit show going into nine and ten and then his race engineer lambiasi said back to him thanks for not screaming on the radio about it and then max was like haha you're welcome so maybe they're so maybe they're trying to train him to be a little less frantic on the video. <laughs> <laughs> a rare example of Max holding back. Um, the real upset, the real upset of FP2 was what the heck happened to Haas? They were P16 and P18. The back of FP2. Too much celebration. Yeah, wow, this was crazy. This was me. Too much celebration <laughs> for Gunther's birthday. <laughs> wow, well, oh, whatever. No. He deserved it. <laughs> so in terms of Red Bull versus Ferrari, as we said, Red Bull looks like it has better straight line speed. Ferrari's better in the corners. But surprisingly, Ferrari was complaining um, a bit about porpoising. You could really see Charles's head bouncing all over the place in FP2. So we'll see what happens with that. So Mercedes, as we've been saying, has been struggling. They were going to bring a rear wing upgrade in Australia, but that's been delayed to Imola. So they don't have any upgrades at all here. Um, Hmm. So essentially that just means their car is going to be the same as it was in Saudi when other teams have been kind of making little tweaks and changes. So George Russell said with the cost caps this season, it's really important to be patient and intentional about upgrades. So he's not stressed about it. He knows it's going to happen, but still kind of wild for Mercedes right now. George said their goal was to get P5 and P6 after Red Bull and Ferrari. So this is I don't crazy. Think so. If that even happens, yeah. Yeah. And then Alfa Romeo was having a little bit of a start issue for Bottas. So according to them, um, 
they the issue is drivetrain oscillation, which basically just means that the car is vibrating a ton when the when it starts on the grid. Um, and it's actually happening to a lot of teams. So I guess we'll have to see if they can fix that for Bottas going into quali on Friday, Saturday. And Tiggy, how about Haas? What's happening after mixed crash? They don't have a spare chassis with them, and they don't seem to have many spare parts for mixed car, which is a big yikes. Um, so fingers crossed that they don't need many spare parts. But um, God bless. Yeah, we'll see what happens with them. Uh, fingers crossed. Okay, so now we're going to get into – kind of the vibe check so far of what's been going on <laughs> off track. So Chessa, do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened in the press conferences? <laughs> so the thing coming out of the press conferences is that apparently the FIA has a re- has a rule and they're reminding everyone that they can't wear jewelry on track. So I love when guys wear rings. So Charles cannot wear his sexy fashion <laughs> rings. But basically there was a little bit of banter back and forth where Max was like, oh yeah, I'd be too heavy with my jewelry. And Lewis was like, I know you have a nipple piercing, man. And Max was like, Lewis, do you want to see it again? Anyways, <laughs> not, not real news, but worth highlighting. I think the big news is that Seb is back, baby. Yes, he is back. So he had COVID for the first two races. Um, but not only is Seb back, he... <laughs> owes the FIA 5,000 euros, um, which, so his engine failed in FP1 and he asked one of the motor ped, moped people if he could take the moped back to the pits, which apparently that was allowed, but the fact that he was unaccompanied doing it was not allowed. So the video of him driving on this moped, like waving to the crowd back to the pits is one of the funniest things you will ever see. Uncle Seb, Uncle so Seb. So funny. <laughs> um, so he had to sit out of FP2 due to the car. And just for those who don't know, Seb, I mean, he's Vettel's an amazing driver. He won four championships with Red Bull from 2010 to 2013, but he's now 34. He sort of doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) He's just like a fun driver to watch. Um, And he has a mop for hair. His hair is literally a mop. (laughs) His hair is wild this season. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with that. Another vibe check, McLaren. Obviously McLaren, you guys have not had a good start to the season yet there's a huge photo op of Danny and Lando taking like pictures in a Lego McLaren car (laughs) and obviously we can't we were remiss not to mention Danny is from Australia so he's really in his element the fans love him personally I made a comment about his cockiness before I want to let it shine this time you know (laughs) just I'm gonna let him have it that's it (laughs) yeah I hope he does well I hope he does well I know. Fingers crossed. Another. So we did a poll on Instagram, a little fashion joke that we have. This happens every race, but it's funny to see it get going again. Lewis rolled up in a green puffer suit. Like looks like he could be front row at Balenciaga at Paris Fashion Week. Like obviously mega trendy. Max, meanwhile, is wearing kind of just a tech polo, his (laughs) flat brim hat that he always wears, and these kind of Euro dad jeans and like basic running sneakers um and so we did a choose we did a choose your fighter poll on instagram like dad versus paris fashion week and it was closer than i thought it would be we got 44 percent dad and 56 percent paris fashion week so hamilton comes out on top for the first time this season <laughs> oh god another cool thing let's notice is so Botas's girlfriend she's an australian professional cyclist which is also super cool but she does his helmet design. So this time she did a really cool helmet design. You guys should go look it up on Instagram, but it has like kangaroos and the beach. Um, so everyone's been really leaning into the Australia vibe, right, Tiggy? 
Yes, including surfing, just a little quick plug for a different sport, but um, was watching this video of Mick. Um, He was at a wave pool in Australia with some pro surfers who are on the championship tour, Connor O'Leary and some others. Um, And he kind of rips. It's pretty cool. Like, and (laughs) and Lewis also kind of rips. He did some monster energy drink promo in Waco, Texas at one of the wave pools and He's a good Whoa. surfer, so they're they're pretty good athletes all around. Good for them. You all don't know this yet, but for the record, Tiggy is our resident cool surfer girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, what we like to do um, at the end of each of our race previews, we're each going to give you our hot take prediction for for the race. So, Sarah, give me yours. Okay, so mine is Checo and Alonso both on the podium. Say why. As we're saying, Alonzo fourth in FP2, super good showing from him. And this track is supposed to be, have so much overtaking with all these um, DRS zones. Christian, the Red Bull principal was saying it is looking like there could be even multiple changes in leadership per each lap. I think that will really suit Alonzo's driving style. He's so good at kind of wheel to wheel driving. And so is Checo. And we saw such an insane quality lap from Checo last week. If he can do that again and start at the front, he's amazing at defending. Checo and Alonso, we both saw them last season defend against Lewis for laps when they were in slower cars. So I think if they can qualify towards the front, they are going to be up there. Um, Tiggy, how about you? (laughs) So mine is that both McLarens are going to be in the top 10. I think we've seen them do a decent job in practice. They've not done well in the first two races. It's Danny Rick's home race. I think they will do well um, and be in the top 10. I'm here for that. To manifest that, yeah. Yeah. And mine is that only one Mercedes will be in the top 10, and it will not be Hamilton. Womp womp. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, everyone, that was our race preview. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to pivot really quick to give you guys a little bit of knowledge. So we're going to talk about the Americanization of Formula One. You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core, and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacovas is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas. only at Tacovas.com. Let us begin with the biggest news as of late. We are back in Vegas, baby. You heard that right. Formula One is coming back to Vegas. So to me, Formula One now is officially stateside. And yes, I know we already have Austin and we just got Miami, but this is the final nail in the coffin, in my opinion. Formula One is now fully partying in the USA. Had to throw that in. (laughs) Crazy. Um, Yeah, we're back in Vegas for the first time since 1982. And there's a three-year contract. So we'll see at least a few races um, here. Sarah, do you want to tell us a little bit about the, the track? Sure. So the main straight is straight down the strip in Las Vegas, like all the big hotels and casinos on the side. So that looks like it'll be sick, but the track overall looks like it might be a little boring, Um, but it'll still be worth it for the spectacle for sure. Vegas is 
nothing if not the show. <laughs> yeah, they're doing the the race at night at 10 p.m., which is probably to make up for the boring track, but you got to do something. Totally, because that's super unusual. And we've been saying, it's kind of funny, F1 people, like journalists and the drivers, they all seem really more excited about the Vegas concept than Americans are. Like, we're obviously <laughs> super excited to get another American race, but it's not as if we're all dying to have it be in Las Vegas. Like people keep mentioning the hangover movie, um, like F1 journalists and stuff. I don't know why that's the focus, but <laughs> it's, it's yeah, people are definitely excited. Um, Max was like, there's going to be a lot of hydrated people in the paddock on Saturday. <laughs> Which yeah. I, for one, I'm so pumped, pumped about. I told my mom today and she's like, stop everything. We're going to buy the whole family tickets. We're going to go. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I, I have to say, I have to qualify that I have only been to Vegas pre 21 years old. So that doesn't really count as going to Vegas. But as an American, like I'm not that excited about Vegas. Like it doesn't do it for me. I think it's a little overrated, but everyone is like, America does shows better than everyone on earth. And Vegas does it better, better than anywhere else. And like, really? I don't know. It depends yeah, on what you for, was- I guess. It was Damon Hill who said that, like the yeah. he was an F1 champion in the nineties. So he is I, that's what we're saying about Formula One people being so excited about this? So funny. I think Vegas is really going to have to step up their game after we get Miami, which looks like it's going to be insane. It's at the uh, the Dolphins NFL Stadium, like the whole complex. So it's going to be a lot of work to put it in, but there's going to be a pool club and like a place for boats to pull up. And I think they're really going for like Mykonos Beach style energy. So it's going to be really fun getting Um, ready for hot girl summer. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to go next year because we're going to the Kentucky Derby this year, which is the same weekend. But the three of us peaked in Mykonos last summer. So if it's that type of vibe, we have to go next year. So also the official name for the Miami Grand Prix is Crypto.com Grand Prix. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're going to be swimming in crypto bros. It's bad enough that we're already going to have all these guys be like, oh, you're a woman at Formula One, like being condescending at that. But now we're going to have to deal with a ton of finsplaining men as well. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh, finsplaining. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, ladies, if you're going, you can brush up on this podcast beforehand and just be ready to hit them with the facts. Yes. Bring, bring like a list of all your stats. <laughs> Not only did we peak in Mykonos, we also peaked at the Austin Grand Prix last year, which was, yes. I have to say, as we're talking about Americanization, it was 400,000 attendees, the most attended Grand Prix in history, just trailing behind our the 2019 British and Mexico GPs. Um, but that was a 51% rise from the 2018 race, uh, which is pretty crazy. A fun little stat that I saw was that Michael Schumacher had to spell out his name at an Indianapolis hotel check-in <laughs> during the early 2000s, which just shows you uh, how little known it was. But now, you know, it's everywhere in the U.S. And Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> Okay, so the three races in America really shows that F1 and the CEO of F1, Stefano Domenicali, has such a real commitment to American expansion. 2022 is the first time since the 80s that the U.S. has hosted two races. Um, And F1's really just blowing up in general. Obviously, Twitter's global, but last year, Twitter saw an over 60% increase from 2021 in tweets about F1. So it's really just expanding all over the place. And I think... Like there's still more to come. If you think about the size of US, the size of the US compared to Europe, and we only have three races, it just goes to show that we're we're gonna have a lot more. And especially as viewership continues, 
I mean, we should expect that to happen for this was a stat that I read that I literally blew my mind. And we have a lot of better stats coming as well. So buckle up. But viewership for the for the Bahrain Grand Prix was the second most viewed F1 telecast on both cable and ESPN since the Brazilian GP in 1995. So at the end of the race that Sunday, there was over a million and a half people watching in the States. It's crazy. I mean, which begs the question of if they're doing this huge American push and, you know, having more races here, Netflix has obviously driven up fan demand. Why are there no American drivers? Or really no American presence at all. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. There were two American F1's drivers champions in the 60s and 70s, but really no one big since then. The last American driver was in 2015, but that was just for a couple races. And we mentioned our last episode, Gene Haas, Zach Brown. That's really the only big Americans who are super visible in the paddock. Yeah, but it's interesting because F1 is actually owned by Liberty Media, which is an American media conglomerate that owns, you know, F1, Sirius XM, the Atlanta Braves, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they bought Formula One from private equity ownership back in 2016 for four, about four and a half billion dollars. Um, so it does make sense that there is more of an American push right now. They are owned by an American company. But yeah, but there's no drivers. I mean, I think the biggest thing about F1 is a sport that requires a lot of time and a lot of money. It's like the horseback riding of Europe, if you want to think of it that way. But basically, <laughs> it's a pipeline thing. Max, Charles, all of them did karting in Europe. And if you're like deep in the F1 Instagram, you can see all these pictures of them when they were infants, like all karting together. So yeah, that they all did that together. And then they moved through like Formula 2, Formula 3, etc. And then eventually make it to F1. And also a lot of the, these drivers now, their dads were drivers in some capacity, not all F1 drivers, but like Max's dad was a driver. It all just seems a little culty and like you have to run within certain circles. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Formula 2 and Formula 3 are kind of like the F1 minor league. So is Formula Renault. Um, So imagine kind of minor league baseball teams and a lot of the drivers will come up through those programs and they're all driving in Europe as as teenagers. So a lot of the drivers not from Europe, like Checo, Danny, Rick, Yuki, they all move to Europe as teenagers to drive. So if you're not, if you don't have Americans in that pipeline, it's it's hard to get them in later. Do you guys know of any Americans who are kind of currently in that pipeline? Yeah, there. So there's two. There's one in F2. His name is Logan Sargent. He drives for the Williams Driver Academy. He's 21. And then there's Jack Crawford. Jack with it, just J A K, not J A C K. Don't mess that up. Um, he's an <laughs> F3 driver. I won't he, mess that up. <laughs> he's because <laughs> he's super famous. We all have to remember how to spell his name. Um, Jack he drives will be famous. <laughs> he's an F3 driver. He drives for the Red Bull Junior team. So yeah, I mean it's just hard though. For the most part, there's no American drivers in that pipeline. So. It's just hard. Also, we're not going to get super into it, but there's also barriers that make it harder to come from like IndyCar, which is the traditional like U.S. driving to go into F1 than would it be to go from, for example, F2 to F1. Um, So, you know, the the F1 car, the IndyCar look very similar and Indy 500 is super famous. But yeah, it's super hard to break in from that. But McLaren Racing more broadly does have several American drivers kind of in the more distant pipeline, like Chessa was just talking about. McLaren's really involved with an IndyCar team called Aero McLaren SP. And the top IndyCar, one of the top IndyCar drivers, Paddle Award, tested with McLaren a few months ago. And another American, Colton Herta, who is the youngest IndyCar race winner ever, is going to do F1 testing with McLaren soon. 
Yeah, and just like a personal anecdote, I guess, we saw the McLaren fever in Austin when we were there. A huge number of American fans, sort of orange everywhere. Maybe they could be the first team with an American driver. Um, Daniel Ricardo was very into the Texas American culture when he was there. He also made a retirement joke recently, which was interesting. Uh, he said he <laughs> joked that he was thinking of retiring but had to be there for Vegas. So I don't know. Maybe there will be a Danny Rick replacement who's American. Guys, <laughs> this is we'll what see. I'm saying about Danny. He talks such a big game. He hasn't had like the stardom that he needs. And now I think he's going to pull back. Wow, Chessa, you're kind of a, a little bit of a Danny <laughs> <Nothing>. hater. <laughs> I think I'm just a little bit um, overwhelmed by his charmingly good looks, and I think I'm just trying to overcompensate. Anyways. We do have two Canadian drivers, though. Shout out to Stroll and Latifi, our neighbors up north. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, if you can't get American, if you can't get America, you can at least get Canada. <laughs> They're not exactly charging at the front of the grid. But, uh, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> Um, and also just to quickly mention something that's interesting, Caitlyn Jenner just started a new W series team, which is the women's racing series. That's one of the F1 support series. So W series F2 and F3 will sometimes race on Grand Prix weekends on the same track. Um, so that's just a little fun fact of some more, um, American presence. So speaking of expansion, there are some new teams trying to join Formula One. Um, so it's going to be really exciting. We mentioned this a little bit earlier, but one of the F1 drivers that used to race, who is American, he comes from a famous American family, um, the Andretti family. I'm going to say it with an Italian accent because it's obviously an Italian name. But Michael Andretti, <laughs> he's an American. He's really trying to get a team. Uh, they're a very famous motorsport family they own an IndyCar team he wants to be the 11th team of Formula One and he's willing to pay a 200 million dollar entry fee which is a big number I almost feel like it would be bigger for Formula One but he actually co-owns a racing team in an Australian series with Zach Brown so there's a relationship there more support for that McLaren um, America connection so who knows I think it'll be exciting to see yeah, and this isn't American, but just on the topic of expansion, um, Volkswagen, as the parent company, has given Audi and Porsche permission to, to enter F1. So they're waiting to see the 2026 engine regs to decide. But Tiggy, do you know which teams Audi and Porsche might be interested in pairing with? Yeah, so it seems like Audi wants to fully buy McLaren, um, but they're not super into it. So they may explore Aston Martin instead. Um, and then Porsche seems set to team with Red Bull, which would be sick. That would um, be so cool. Imagine be, the car. It would look so beautiful. Oh, it would be amazing. Red Bull Porsche. Yeah. Um, they would be in the powertrains division, which Sarah, maybe you should explain that for those who don't know. Yeah. So in Red Bull, um, the powertrains unit used to be run by Honda, um, but they just exited formula one and now it's fully the Red Bull powertrains division. But Christian has said, Christian Horner, the team principal has said that he's definitely open to kind of a collaboration in that space. And so Porsche presumably would come in and kind of run the powertrains division of Red Bull. Wow. That's cool. We would be remiss not to mention Drive to Survive, obviously, in the Americanization <laughs> of F1. Um, Chessa, do you want to take us through? There's there's some good and there's some bad that come from DTS. But Chessa, why don't you take us through some of the good? Yeah, I'm a big hype girl, so I'll go with the good. F1 leadership loves Drive to Survive, if we haven't already noticed, because of all the new American fans. So in 2021, Formula One viewership was up 41% compared to the 2019 racing season and up 56% compared to 2020. So 
Zach Brown said it was the single most important impact for F1 in North America, which, you know, we can't argue. It's a great gateway. It's an amazing way to get everyone into the sport. What I think is really interesting, though, is sort of like the marketing engine behind this. So personally, I think the main reason behind why Drive to Survive has done so well and subsequently Formula One is because they're getting a lot of audience intelligence. And what I mean by that is they're really getting a good understanding of the target audience, um, getting all this data and helping to kind of curate the more engaging behind the scenes, drama, all that content that we want to see across all these different platforms. So it's kind of like, in my mind, Drive to Survive and Formula One are working together on this marketing engine. And obviously we love that. Like we love to see all of the interesting stuff. Albeit, we'll talk about this in a second. I don't think it's super accurate between all of the driver relationships, but I think overall F1 loves it because they're making a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, the bad or the questionable, which we'll move into, drivers are definitely getting fed up. So the CEO, um, Dominicali, who we've mentioned, said in a meeting a few weeks ago that he was receptive to drivers' concerns about the accuracy of Drivers Arrive and we talked to Netflix about it. So it seems like he's kind of trying to mediate – Max refused to participate in the last season. He's quite harsh on it. I love how blunt he is. I think it's so funny. So Max said about this season that Lando was actually a great guy and got a bad edit, like how Max felt the show had portrayed him in the first few seasons. Um, He compared it to keeping up with the Kardashians, which is savage. (laughs) (laughs) And Max said they used, if you saw season four, you'll see that there's this audio from Max in there, even though he didn't participate. So Max was like, they used random audio of me, even though I didn't want to participate. That's crazy. I mean, I I think what Chessa said is like pretty dead on. It's a great gateway. Like, honestly, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. I have not finished season four because we followed season, season four, we followed last season of F1 so closely. I almost don't feel the need to like see some of this made up off track drama. I think there, there are great reasons for it. It's a great way to get the basic familiarity of what is F1. Um, But once you follow the season pretty closely, I don't even think you really need Netflix. The season really tried hard to show Lando and Daniel being antagonistic on McLaren. Like, oh, Lando's doing so well and Daniel isn't. But McLaren published this video of Lando and Daniel reacting to the season and kind of laughing about it. Um, And there were also complaints about Drive to Survive misusing or misplacing audio, misplacing some footage of the track. And so one of the kind of bad misuses was they used a radio snippet where Lando's saying, oh my gosh, Daniel pushed me off track. They used it as if it was about the Bahrain race, but... Lando said that didn't happen in Bahrain. And Lewis vs. Max was crazy enough. Like last season was insane enough. I feel like they really didn't need to editorialize it more. And we don't have to get all the way into the the rivalries. But if you've watched Drive to Survive, you'll see they do this all the time, kind of making it seem like teammates hate each other, which may or may not be true, but I definitely think they play it up a lot. And F1 just naturally has so much drama. Like if you watch the press conferences yeah. – in American sports, the press conferences tend to be pretty dry. In F1, <laughs> they'll like go at each other in the press conferences. So, so I feel like, yeah, I feel like you just don't really need all this extra stuff that they're creating. Yeah, and it's interesting that the Rotten Tomatoes score has gone way down since season one, but viewership keeps going up. Um, so it kind of begs the question of where does the show go from here? Um one sort of fun, funny thing is that Netflix and Drive to Survive producers are working on golf and tennis versions of Drive to Survive. <laughs> um, they've I'm also sure, discussed. I'm sure that will be riveting. <laughs> 
Well, we'll see. Maybe there's something interesting about golf and tennis that we're not aware of. Um, And then something else that's interesting is, so ESPN has the rights to streaming for Formula One, but their carriage rights are set to expire at the end of this season. Um, And there are rumors that Netflix could be in contention to take over streaming rights. ESPN originally took it over from NBC. Wow. What What do you think about that? I think it could be great for the brand, but I think more serious and longtime fans are probably wary of the increasing subjectivity and the blurring of the lines between sport and entertainment that Drive to Survive has sort of perpetuated. So it could take away from some of the objectivity and fairness that we have seen in the sport, but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there um, and who, who gets those rights at the end of this season. With that, guys, thank you so much for listening to our Australia preview and Americanization episode. We are super excited for the race this week weekend, and we will be back a race recap. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, rate, subscribe, all of those great things. We love you all. Speak soon.